Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 13th, 2017. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. It's Friday the 13th. That's right. That's why we record on Thursday. That's pretty scary. I didn't realize that. We're going to a Frankenstein um, uh, masquerade fundraiser thing. We're getting all dressed up. Well, not tonight, but tomorrow on the actual Friday the 13th. And I didn't realize that until you just mentioned, so oh, that no. actually makes sense now. Yeah. Nothing to go wrong either, I mean. Wondering why we were doing costuming two weeks in advance, but <laughs> all makes sense now. The whole <laughs> month is doomed. <laughs> Um, but then after uh, after I get dressed up and have fun for uh, Halloween two weeks early, I'm headed off to uh, Thunder Valley for the Up NorCloud Classic. Uh, I will be heading out there on Tuesday, but the fun kicks off on Monday and runs all week, ending with the main event winner uh, getting on the cover of Up Magazine. All the details can be found at antiupmagazine.com slash Thunder Valley. And uh, super excited to get out to my uh, second home, which is what I call Thunder Valley. <laughs> at least you're not flying on Friday the 13th. That is true. That'd be weird. Yeah, that'd be scary. But, but I am probably going to be walking under ladders and uh, tripping over black cats. So <laughs> we'll get it all out of the way Friday the 13th, and Tuesday will be smooth sailing. <laughs> and I got a meeting with some guy named Freddie that day. I don't know what he wants to talk about. Ah, but. nice. He's your he's your dream candidate <laughs> to run against. Oh yeah, but uh, looking forward to all my friends out in Thunder Valley. And if you haven't been out there yet, and you keep hearing us talk about it. One, we're not going to quit talking about it because they love us. We love them. So we're going to keep going back out there twice a year. But uh, uh, feel, like, feel free to come up and uh, check it out this week. It's a, it's a smaller event than our World Championship, which makes it a little bit more accessible to everyone. Uh, but still a lot of fun. So and the chance to get Scott Long money. That is true. That is true. We'll see We'll see how much Scott Long money is available because <laughs> uh, George Clinton and the psychedelic funk is playing out there. Wow. So, so here, here's the thing. Do I go to see that? Or do I play the Omaha Eight event? This is this is how ru- horrible my life is. I have to make choices like this. Well, there's always going to be Omaha Eight events, but George Clinton's not going to be around forever. Yeah, it's true. If he keeps losing electoral college, so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to being out there. So everybody, come out and have some fun, and that includes all of our listeners. And we apparently still have listeners, Chris. It's it's remarkable. Because over the last couple of weeks, we've just been bombarded. You know, we were down to, like, no call to the floor. Now we got a month's stockpile, and we were running a little low on listener spotlights, but we're back with a bunch of those. And we have so much that people are actually commenting on what we talked about on the show. So that's how I know they actually are listening and not just hitting us up for advice, right? So uh, we got three of them here today that I just felt like we had to talk about because we just talked about them. But I'm going to let you take... The first one, because Vic G came through with a lot of information that I know you were interested in. 
And, you know, despite everything he showed and everything that I knew my hunches were correct, they still won't reverse the call on the field. I, I don't get it, but whatever. So, Vic, my man, I uh, asked for someone to let me know a while back if it's harder to make a Royal Flush with two 52-card decks, or actually 53-card decks because I have Jokers in them, or is it harder to make five of a kind? And I said, it's got to be the Royal uh, because there's way more possibilities to make five of a kind with all of those cards out there, and there's only specific royal cards that can be made, and blah, blah, blah. So he comes through with me. Comes through with huge stats for me. Here we go. Royal Flush, cards dealt five in a 52-card deck, one in 649,740 cards, five dealt in two 50-card decks, one in 718,457 cards dealt five Two 53-card decks, which is what I'm in. One in 150,805. And it's one in 791,726 for a natural royal. Okay, so if you're making a natural royal in one of these things, it is not easy. Okay? Now, over to five of a kind. Obviously, in a 52-card deck, you have zero odds because there's no way to make it. When you have two 52-card decks, it's one in 126,000. So compare that to one in 718,000 for the Royal. Yep. And then for two 53-card decks, which is what I do, it's one in 30, basically 38,000. Okay? That's compared to 150,000 for the Royal. And then the Natural is one in basically 140,000. So 140,000 to basically one in 800,000. I would say that uh, drawing a Royal Flush from two 53-card decks is almost four times more difficult than drawing five of a kind. He says well, you can you wouldn't al- say that. Vic said yeah, that. He, he, <laughs> said, he says you can also see that it's even easier to draw a natural five of a kind than it is for a Royal Flush with a wild card. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. So I, I present the argument to my, my bowling buddies, and I'm like, look, guys, I'm not looking for you to retroactively pay me for the pot last week. But, oh, but we all know you were, though. But moving <laughs> forward... And they're like, yeah, no, we're going to keep it the same way. I'm like, what the? I'm like, fine, because I'm sure I'm going to reap the benefit of this, you know, the, uh, by making the five of a kind when someone else makes a royal, but it's not right. And it doesn't have to be a royal. A straight flush itself is the same thing. So, right, right. You know, right. I was just saying royal because that was what I made that night. But so it's all against straight flushes, too. So I was, I was pretty upset they wouldn't reverse it. So I'm going to have to make <laughs> some more money somehow against these guys. Well, not to defend them, because I think in a technical sense, you are correct. But again, these are guys just getting together and bowling, having a little extra fun, right? Because yeah. apparently, rolling the ball down the lanes and hitting the wood is not fun enough for you guys without having these side things going on. It's so. fun enough for me. <laughs> I don't need to do this poker crap. I tell you it's on the show all the time. I think it's stupid, but they're doing it and they make me do it. So, so if they want to do it and they feel like they need to do it, they should make it as fun as they want. And odds be damned. That's what that's what I say. So, all right, odds be damned. So from now on, a straight beats a full house. Because I just well, say so. In 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 your scenario, I'm I just say so. Me, yeah, I'm not both. So, what, yeah. what the hell? It's my fact. Me, then yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm going to raise hell, but it, you know, very libertarian on this. This is your problem. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, listener Kevin Choate wrote in after our discussion on vlogging, and he said I wanted to touch on the vloggers and people streaming poker. The statement was said that this probably would not increase the game's popularity very much. I would like to bring up a theory. I'm a younger man, 25. Wow. It's like half us. It's half Almost me. Half. Almost half me. And I know that uh, video game professionals have a short shelf life. Few make it longer than five years in their chosen video game. My theory is that these guys who develop the skill to learn a meta 
and read people's play could switch to poker, being a game that has stood the test of time similar to chess. Uh, with the YouTubers and streamers bringing a new light to a new demographic, maybe they there could also be a new market. Also, this new market does not remember all the money lost in 2011. That's my theory, shaky at best. How shaky is it, do you think? I don't think there's enough. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I think his theory may be able to provide us a few more players, uh, but I don't think it's enough to do the increasing of the game's popularity. I mean, I, I think we would lose as many people through natural attrition as we would by gaining from this sort of angle. I, I, I think it's a cool, I would call it a hypothesis, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, it's an interesting thought, and I'm glad someone has an original thought because we don't have any anymore. Um, no, no, but I, but I don't know. I don't think it would be enough to increase the popularity. To be honest, well, I'll say this: I honestly don't know how many people are gamers, and I will say I will admit that there are. I would be probably shocked at the actual number if somebody actually gave me a number because I don't know if I talked about this on the show before, but you know, I'm sitting at breakfast, and I look up, and I'm watching this video game soccer being played on TV, and I'm like, who's actually watching a video game? And then they pan back, and they're Two guys with their little controllers and their 17 thumbs just banging away. And four million people in the audience watching it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're actually televising now people playing video games. I remember you saying something about that, yeah. They haven't done that since Starcade back when we were a kid. Remember Starcade? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, so if, if they can, if it's popular enough that they can make a TV show out of it, there's probably a lot more people doing this than uh, our old fogey um, asses realize. Um but I also have to take a little nitpick at Kevin here. Now, obviously, I, I don't know how to play Call to Halo 8 or whatever the new games are out that these kids are playing. But um, I still dominate Ms. Pac-Man. She can make money at that. For 30 years now, you take me to any arcade, you put me in front of that, I'm going to high score before I leave. So I stand the time more than five years before I have to switch games. <laughs> Well, the thing about it is he mentions professionals, and I, I don't see, I don't care what anyone tells me, there are not that many professionals that are around who are then going to die out and then join the poker cause and then make an increase in popularity. There are not, there's no way there are that many professional gamers out there that can make a dent, and when you consider how many poker players there are, there's just no way, it's a, it's a sliver, so... While I see that this sort of pocket of of people um, are obviously you know gaining in popularity, I don't think that they're enough to turn it around for poker or make it a a much more accessible game, you know, like like it did on when we had the, the lipstick cams come out for the first time, and we had online poker for the first time, and sure. yeah, I just don't see that happening, but. Um, so well, the other good, thing huh? too is they they actually have to once they get retired from their game they have to actually decide to play poker. Yeah. And get, and so there is a lot of other steps now. Um, you know what uh, GPL is doing with all this stuff and trying to mix poker with esports and stuff. And there's probably a a clearer path to that than there would have been before. But but yeah, there's a lot of a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's shaky at best, but they're, they're, there's definitely some loose boards on that suspension bridge. That they <laughs> and they might get filled in. They might be solid. And, you know, 10 years from now, you might be doing the show while we're, you know, video gaming in the background. And <laughs> we'll remember you, Kevin. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> All right, then Al Azori um, said, I was listening to your segment uh, where the caller was talking about reinvigorating his home game. I've been hosting a weekly game for about eight years now, and I and others have tried several things to keep the game going strong. Here are some things that we've done at various times to keep things interesting. And uh, just for a point of comparison, he says they play one, two Skittle Stakes. Uh, first thing he says is a bad beat jackpot. We funded our own bad beat jackpot. At the beginning of each session, we collected five Skittles from each player. It took about a year to hit it and kept players coming back. Those who did not contribute were not eligible. Now, this is interesting um, because it's like, okay, if you can't make it for a legitimate reason, right. you've Maybe lost your shot. Yeah, like, or you got a bowling league, or you're on the road for Thunder Valley, you know. And it's like, oh, well, I've been contributing this five skittles for the last every month for the last year, but now I can't make it. And then somebody hits it. Oh man, you're gonna be furious. Well, how is that any different than in a regular poker room? You're not playing twenty four seven in your regular poker room, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. But still, it's but like they can, the they can schedule the, a home game when they know you're not gonna be players there. Players to coming back, and that's the whole point. <laughs> is now that you know, hey, I put. Twelve dollar, twelve skittles in this thing last night. By golly, I'm not letting anybody else win that. I got to come back next week, and uh, I'll find a sub for the bowling league. That's what he's trying to say. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. I, I would see that working. I would definitely see that working. All right, the next thing: the free straddle chip. We introduce a free five skittle straddle chip into the game as part of the first pot of the night. We call it a Smurf chip because it's blue. Oh, yes, yeah, so cute. Uh, if you have a Smurf in the straddle position, it's worth five Skittles as a straddle. If you forget to use it, you forfeit it and automatically goes into the next pot. The chip is worth nothing when we cash out, but induces more action throughout the night. So, in other words, when they put it in the pot, if somebody forgets, then when somebody wins it, they can use it as a $5 straddle later, but they never get paid $5 for it. It just makes other right. people pay more money to enter the pot. It has no cash value. Right, okay. Like but it stays in the game forever. Yeah, sounds wow. like yeah. So you can just use it whenever you feel like making the pot bigger. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and I was almost think. I mean, it makes it interesting, but it, I could also see this backfiring too if, if it makes the gameplay so big that some of the, your players that are just comfortable at the one-two level now feel like the game has gotten out of control. You might lose those folks. But so it's probably not as a. That's why it's number two on the list instead of number one, right? Right. <laughs> so, that beat probably better. All right, the next one is the Show Me Yours chip. As the name suggests, this chip can be used to see an opponent's hand when the hand is over. I give one of those to the first six players to arrive. If you use it, your opponent has to show his hand, and he has, and he gets to have the chip for future use. What I like about this is it gets people there early. Yeah. There's nothing worse than sitting around there at noon for our game. Well, you know, back when I still... <laughs> when was that, by the way? I forget the last time you hosted But I had game. nothing else to do but have you guys over to my house. <laughs> Um, you know, we'd be sitting around at noon, so, you know, just catching up with, like, the four of us, waiting for the other four to show up. So this way, people would actually get there in time, because they, they would get to see see your want, cards. Yeah, they want me to show me yours, Chip. That's important, so. All right, number four, free straddle chip variation. That sounds like a car feature. <laughs> <laughs> New Ford Taurus, now with free straddle chip variation. <laughs> Uh, he says, on a couple of occasions, I've given the first five players a free one-time use straddle chip in order to encourage people to respond early. Um, yeah, I guess that's interesting. I don't think we've ever really had a problem in our game getting people to respond to the emails. We've had problems finding a day that everybody can come. But yeah. I guess that's a real problem for your home game if you got people that won't even respond to the emails <laughs> trying to set up a game. But, yeah. 
Um, and then finally, five, the reverse button. We usually let the dealer call the game for the hand they are dealing. This was okay for a while, but we went through a phase where too many game variations were being called, and it got our holding players frustrated. We introduced the reverse button. This button moves in reverse only when the dealer button crosses it. If you're the dealer when you have the reverse button, you get to call the game. Otherwise, it's just hold them. I don't get that. I got yeah, lost on this. I read it earlier, and I got lost on it. I think it goes in reverse, so I, I guess if you started out at the same time, that wouldn't work. You'd have to have like an odd number of players, maybe, for it to be in a different spot at a different. You know what I mean? So it's going in reverse. Yeah, it's going it's one way while the deck is going the other way. That's just too much. Just guys, yeah, just play one both. round of everything. You have to be both to call your game. <laughs> just yeah, just just play one round and I'm gonna let the button rotate one with it, and then that person calls the next round like we do in the home game. It's or ten minutes or whatever you have a timer going, whatever. If it's not enough for you, but if you have eight players, eight hands of one game is fine. Then move on to another game. You know, it's that this reverse button is kind of like confusing. It's like when we have to have the two decks going at once at like campus game. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, it just gets to be all right. Let's let's put it down the one deck. Gambit would argue with that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> all right, that was fun. Thanks for sending that stuff in, guys. Yeah, right. I think you're right. I think uh, our game has gotten so much better once we decide it's a round. Because, yeah. you know, when you think about it, you want to get your mind in the frame of that game. I mean, I guess if you're really good at all the games, uh, it doesn't matter. You probably have an advantage if the game changes every time. But but uh, you're right. I mean, think about how many times if it changes from a stud game to a hold'em game. Now who paid the blinds? No, wait, we just paid the blinds. I, where's the well, dealer button frozen and all that? It's a pain. So the whole rotation thing of a complete, uh, you know, wait, time around is perfect for us. So I love it that way. Okay, any updates? Hollywood Casino Aurora near Chicago will be awarding ten Annie Up Poker Cruise balcony packages for our December 11th sailing to Jamaica and Haiti in a mega free roll on November 12th. The 100 players with most cash game hours logged during the promotion period will earn a seat, as well as 30 players who win their way in through three monthly free rolls. Players can earn seats in the monthly free rolls by logging at least 60 hours of cash game play in a month or by playing on all Wednesday tournaments during the month. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Also, the schedule and preview for the Pearl River Poker Open, an Annie Up Poker Tour Series at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 26th, November 5th, has been posted at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Pearl River. The 11-event series starts and ends with a 100 k guarantee event, including... The $800 buy-in main event that will put the winner on the cover of Annie Up Magazine and into the 2018 Annie Up World Championship and features a couple new interesting events, including one where winners have the option of taking double their winnings in non-negotiable table game chips. Okay, listener spotlight. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at annieupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Comes from Adam Borgoing. 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 He says, I am a recreational player, and I record a higher than a break-even take on cash games. I play tournaments and have always enjoyed my uh, tournaments more than cash, but due to time constraints, I generally only play cash. Lately, I found myself not having fun at cash, and merely playing cash games due to my better-than-average profit margins. I find myself leaving the casino telling myself that I'm crazy for not liking them much more simply due to the money factor. I can't, 
uh, even figure out why I don't like cash games as much anymore. I just find myself bored and unfulfilled. Last night, I went to the casino with a non-poker-playing co-worker. We played blackjack and craps all night. Though I lost money, I found myself having a much more uh, enjoyable time than when I sit at cash. As someone who only plays poker for fun, I found myself with an epiphany. Why the hell am I wasting my time playing a variety of poker I don't enjoy? Just for the money? It's clear when I reflect back on why I play that I play solely for enjoyment and escape. So I made a conscious decision to not play cash games anymore. When I don't have time to commit to a tournament but still want to go to the casino, I will stick with blackjack and craps. Am I crazy to walk away from the profit margin? Or is this logical thinking from a I-just-play-to-have-fun mindset? I love this letter. Okay. And the reason I love it is back you know, back when we started this whole thing, I was writing that bet on it column mm-hmm. for PBT. So it was more than poker I was talking about. I was yeah. talking about it anyway. That people can be separated from their money in the gaming <laughs> environment. And, uh, you know, I would always get emails or, or people asking me, you know, what's, what's the best game to play in the casino? And the answer always was, well, I can tell you which games have the best odds, but if you're not having fun playing it, remember why you're at the casino in the first place, and that is to have fun. Right. Going to casino should always be about entertainment. Obviously, it's more entertaining when you walk out with more money than you went in. And it's never entertaining when you walk out with no money. <laughs> but you're there for entertainment. And poker is the same way. I mean, obviously, if you if you one of those people that can actually step above it and, and turn it into a living, that's a different story. But for probably everybody that's listening to our show, it's about entertainment. So you should have fun. And if it's not fun anymore, then you shouldn't play it or you should look for a way to make it fun. So in this scenario, um, no, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, walking away from kind of consistent money or not. Um, if you are playing for enjoyment, and that's what he says, I play solely for in, in, in enjoyment and escape, um, then you should be playing what you makes you happy. Right. I, well, I, I agree. I just The only thing I don't like is not... Uh, um, not not walking away from making money and to to go into something that you know you're going to lose money. Now, we always profess that poker should be entertainment for you. Obviously, if you're trying to make a living at this, you're not going to be listening to our show. Right. Um so that or part I really enjoy. Our show. What? Or it's, it's going to be that much harder if you listen to our show. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make you worse. But um I I applaud Adam for recognizing this. Um, I'm not so sure I like the idea of him walking into a game where he clearly is losing money. But if it's entertainment, you look at it like, hey, I'm going to the movies with the family for a night. It's going to cost me 50 bucks. I can do the same thing playing craps for myself and lose 50 bucks and enjoy myself as much. So, And there's always a chance that you could win. Right. Um, but if it becomes one of those things where you're constantly going and losing and, you're, and eventually you start to understand the game better and... You know, that's what happens to a lot of poker players. Poker players start to play the game, they get a little better at it, and then they start to lose more money at it because they start doing things the way they, you know, they, they're, so, they're more educated now than they were before, so before they would make mistakes but get rewarded. Same thing with this. After a while, you start to play this game. I just don't want it to be one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, I think I got this now. I'm going to play for more money tonight. And then you lose more money, and then all of a sudden you're, you're gambling at a game well, that has odds that against you. kind of like solve his problem? I mean, I, I think where you get, I mean, obviously, we, I, I don't want to disintegrate this into a discussion about um, addiction, but 
Um, you know, he's pretty clear that he plays solely for enjoyment and escape. And, and I would have to guess that if he goes 10 more times, loses 100 bucks every time, and then decides that losing 100 bucks every night is no fun, even if you enjoyed the three hours or four hours you went there, that you're going to quit doing it and, and do what you said. Go, go to a movie or read a book or yeah. or maybe go back and play cash again now and see whether, you know, again, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the reason we like, we push mixed games here, you know, go off and play Stud 8 for a while and you really enjoy it. And then maybe then you go back to Hold'em and you realize, hey, I actually still like Hold'em. The other thing, too, is if you're finding time to play craps and blackjack, I mean, how long do you think you're going to be? You're going to be there probably as long as you'd be there for a tournament. I mean, unless you're talking about some three-day tournament where the the structure is slow. If you're playing a daily tournament, you're in and out in three hours, whether you win or not. So maybe well, four. yes or no, but you can't get up and leave if you need to. I mean, craps at least, you know, or blackjack, you know, you can get up at any point. So, you know, maybe you only have two hours that night. Maybe you only have an hour or maybe yeah, if, if that's the case. If you have an hour, why are you going? But, yeah, I can see... I can't imagine going to the craps, driving all the way to the casino, going to the craps table for an hour, and then leaving. Right. Well, I so, agree. But. But. Okay. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. This is from Austin Bluffs. Ha ha. Uh, he says, We were in a one to $100 spread limit hold'em game at a Colorado casino. Essentially, this is no limit with bets capped at 100 bucks. Player A and player B are heads up on the river. Player A contemplates his move, cuts out $30 in red chips, stacks them into two stacks of three chips each, grips the chips with one hand in a similar manner as you would if you were going to shuffle the chips, and slides them forward on the felt but maintains his grip on the chips. Player B puts in $30 to call. Player A, with his hand still on the chips, makes a head nod and says something like, you're good, then picks up all but one red chip and puts the rest back. Player B and the rest of the table are astonished to see this obvious angle shot. Player A says he didn't complete the bet and that player B acted out of turn by putting $30 into the pot. The floor quickly makes the ruling that player A displayed an intent to bet $30 that player B called and that the $30 belonged in the pot. I agree with the floor's ruling, especially because I think it maintained the spirit of the game, prevented an angle shot, even if a technical rule may be contradicted this ruling. I see it all the time here in Colorado where players pick up a stack of chips when betting, cut them out forward uh, of their stacks in the final position um, that the uh, chips end up in, and uh, and add and subtract the bet size before pulling their hand back. This always drives me crazy. I am always meticulous in counting out my betting chips near my stack and only pushing the betting amount forward. I wonder if player A may have a valid point in his assertion that his betting action was not complete, especially given the local customs on the cutting out of bets here. All right. Um, this is interesting from Elliot. So he said, I've been going back and forth uh, about this for a while. The rules reg- Regarding betting action for no limit, pot limit, and spread limit, clearly state that any player that puts chips into the pot prior to the completion of the action in front of them is acting out of turn. The villain didn't didn't, didn't remove his hand from the chips and therefore didn't complete his turn in the betting. The villain in the situation didn't move a stack of chips uh, in his hand and cut out one or more chips. The villain moved two distinct but adjacent stacks 
of ships forward and didn't release them. He didn't. He then released one ship after his opponent matched the amount the, the villain moved forward. Uh, in the old days, prior to the interweb, this would have been a string bend in some places. Moving stacks of ships forward, one after the other, with only one hand, uh, was attempting to make multiple bets on one turn, a violation of the one-action-per-turn rule. Moving ships forward while slowly cutting out some ships, or not cutting out any, all, and also not releasing the ships or stating a bet amount, all while waiting for the reaction from one or more opposing players, was a common form of string betting. In this specific situation where the villain slid two distinct stacks forward simultaneously, there's no other way to interpret that action as anything other than a bet of all of those chips. It is not as if the villain moved one stack and started cutting that stack down or dropped one chip off the bottom of that stack. A ruling that spot with the opponent placing chips in the pot prior to a release by the previous better would most likely allow the villain to only be liable for the first stack or all stacks cut before that point in time when the opponent moved chips, or just a one chip if no cutting of the stack had occurred. I feel that this situation was ruled correctly because it is just not reasonable that any player would need to move two small stacks of chips forward in order to make a bet of less than those chips. The local custom in this poker room, according to the villain, uh, was ignored in order to make this ruling. I'm not convinced that was the case. I'm fairly certain that the poker room you played in allows betting by moving uh, more chips than needed, as I have described. This is quite common in many poker rooms. I tend to find the most local customs are generally a way for the regulars in a poker room to come up with a way to legitimize and ultimately allow but many players in poker rooms would be considered violations of basic rules of the game. Local customers should, be gen- should generally produce solutions to solve problems that are not universal. Examples would be allowable languages spoken, seating or balancing cash games, accommodating players with special needs, which chips are allowed in what games, betting formats like rock games or button straddles, etc. I would recommend that anyone ask about local custom prior to playing or betting your chips, but I have found that the point of local customs that affect basic rules is to catch players unaware because the locals know that most players don't see a reason to ask about very basic rules. Uh, so I think you got it right. My my thing is that this is not chess, guys. I'm sorry, but forward <laughs> yeah. motion is forward motion. I don't yeah. care if your hand came off of it or not. This is not chess. Your piece has to stay there. And if you let go of those chips, in, uh, if, you, if you don't, it doesn't matter. Forward motion with chips and out in front of you is a bet. I mean, we we've we've heard stories of a guy is getting ready to move uh, some chips out of the way, and the tower falls forward, and the yeah. dealer makes those stay in the pot. Yeah, this yeah. this is a forward motion. This guy is trying to angle shoot, and they it should be stopped. Forward motion, yes. Yeah, it should be stopped. I, I can't. Yeah. I, I don't understand why poker rooms would allow stuff like this. It's not right, and if you have regulars who will walk out because of it, good, because you need to protect the other players who are playing legitimately. It's not right. Yeah, you should never legitimize a bad action. You should always, you know, even if it's been custom, you should work to try to stop it at some point and, and get people playing properly. Um, one, because, as you mentioned, it, it it upsets tourists, and depending on where your your casino is, and these all these Colorado ones are in tourist areas, yeah. Now you're going to upset players that come in that actually feed the games and help the locals uh, keep the game going. Um, and two, it's it's a disservice to your locals because you know maybe they only play in that casino. That's the only place they ever want to play. But they decide to go to Vegas and play in the World Series. Now they they are trained to do something that's going to get them in trouble somewhere else. So that would be your argument to the players to say, "Oh, we've always done it that way." Is that hey, if you ever decide to go somewhere else and do that, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. So. Why don't we just stop right now and make it uh, do everything correctly so uh, there's no confusion when you go to another place? Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know if we have. I don't know if poker rooms have an obligation to train their players to be able to play elsewhere. But that's what we're here for. That's what magazines are there for. That's what books are there for. That's what the posted rules in the poker room are there for. And to break those rules, just then it's going to be anarchy. All right. <laughs> we got a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game. We're playing seven-handed right now, and are about even, $200. The table plays like a typical no limit hold'em casino cash game. A few fish, a few solid players, and a maniac or two mixed in. The blinds post, and we get three limpers to us on the button with the tray of diamonds, deuce of diamonds. Okay, we'll see a flop. The small blind calls, big blind checks, and with $10 in the pot, the flop is awesome. Six of diamonds, five of spades, four of diamonds. It's checked to the player to our right who bets $5. This player started the hand with over 300 and has been playing pretty solid all night. Although we've only seen him turn over one hand, ace-king suited where he turned the nut flush. We're going to raise it here. I don't want to slow play with this many people in the pot. We make it $15 to go. The small blind, a calling station who will bet out at pots if he feels like he can push people out, instantly calls. He has about 175 It's folded to the player to our right who also calls. With about $50 in the pot, the turn is the eight of spades. The small blind again checks, and the player to our right makes a $40 bet into the pot. It's to us. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Paul Rolston is back, so you know this is going to be an entertaining uh, yes. literary yes. experience in addition to probably great poker. <laughs> and uh, I want to be clear right now because I misspoke last time. I clearly know that he plays in South Africa. Not South America, but apparently I said South America last time. So <laughs> you got a lot in your mind, Scott. We'll forget. Yeah, you know. So if in the middle of this, I, I revert back to South America. He, he can't complain too much. But <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So uh, button down because this is always going to be a, a fun, fun hand, right? All right. All right. I just got back from my daily walk. I'm in my oversized classic Rush T and have Clockwork Angels playing on iTunes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I wonder if he paid fifty five dollars for that T shirt. I bet you he did. Made of baby camel hair. Uh, I was listening to the latest podcast, my walk, and ended up thinking about a hand from Thursday night that has been bugging me ever since. I'll be properly interested to hear what y'all say about this one if you feature it. Oh, we're featuring a ball. How can we ever turn down a Paul hand, right? <laughs> uh, Thursday night, the usual backroom club game. I bombed out of the tournament. I'm at the cash table with the usual collection of renegades, reprobates, rogues, and degenerates. <laughs> Maybe that's a new album for Rush. <laughs> if they didn't out, break up, they would have. <laughs> well, that'll be the comeback to it because you know there's going to be a comeback to it. There's yeah. always a comeback to it. You're going to need somebody else to sing for Giddy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I could do the Tom Sawyer part. <laughs> uh, all right, it started out reasonably sensible, but it's starting to get wild. Uh, full ring now, uh, 5, 10, uh, 25 about half the time. I bought in for double the minimum, 2,000, uh, and topped up to an extra 1,000 when I bled away half my stack. I now have about 26 in front of me. And then he always likes to give the uh, conversion 13 to 1. So it's really 200 American in front of me. And I'm trying to get to 4K to free roll tonight. 
But for the sake of argument, we're going to play with the actual units they have. Five, yeah, ten. that's fine. Right. I'm in the cutoff, and over half the table limps for the $25 straddle. I look down at King Queen off. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not a real big fan of King Queen, to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure that our listeners know that neither one of us are. Yeah, I, I really keep don't. Keep sending us these hands, trying to break our spirit. I don't mind it if, like, I'm the first into the pod. I don't mind it if, you know, I'm in cutoff as a decent position. So there's no reason that you can't raise with this hand. doesn't mean that, you, you know, you don't have to play the cards. You're playing your position. So you got all these limpers. You got some dead money in there. But you could do this with any two cards, too. So... It depends on if you want to play the table. If you're playing the table, he did say it got kind of wild. So mm-hmm. when there's a wild game going on, I like to kind of just limp along and then trap people and stuff. I don't really like to be as wild as them. So maybe in a wild game, I probably just call the straddle of 25. Uh, if I if I knew there's a type of table where a lot of that was dead money and I can get it out by making it like 150, maybe I do that. Um, but I just don't know what this table is going to do. It sounds like it's wild. It sounds like they're all going to come along, and then I'm sitting there with, uh, you know, kicker trouble or you know, trap hands. So, yeah, I think in this case I might just limp along with them and see what happens. I, I, I'm, I mean, it's very likely we could end up being in position the rest of this hand. That could, you know, button could fold here, and then we'll have position. So we like that. Um, and there's also a good reason to try to steal and raise and squeeze some people out of this. There's a lot of ways I can go with this hand. I just feel like limping this time for some reason. Well, I think uh, no surprise to our listeners, I do not like King Queen almost in any situation. I definitely don't like it in a wild game. I prefer to, not that I tighten up to the point that I am no longer playing hands, but I do like to get into pots with hands that I can feel more comfortable playing after the flop, and King Queen is not one of those because, as you mentioned, we have severe kicker problems here. Um, and he didn't mention whether he's suited or not. That might help a little bit, but um, oh no, he did King Queen off. So I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's off. So um, uh, this is just not a hand that I want to get involved with with a straddle on. So uh, this is an easy fold to me, but I know I'm probably in the minority of that, and certainly I'm going to guess that Paul is not going to fold here. So right. All right, our hero says, given my position and a relatively good image, I'm playing very few hands grinding. I raised a 125, which is about standard. It's certainly the same raise I would make with ace-ace-king ace, or deuce-deuce. It's also about the unit standard for an unraised table, even with all those limping donkeys. So, so He's doubling down. He's raising. One thing that would have been nice to know was, was that information beforehand. Not the raise part, but the, the persona he has. If I thought that I was getting respect for my raises and things like that, then yeah, I, I would probably come over a raise with this hand. I, I I don't fault you for folding it either. I, I mean, there's there's so many ways you can go with this hand. So, well, actually, it's only three, but you could do all three of those. <laughs> ways. So, <laughs> um, I could see going any any one of those three ways. Um, but I like the raise. But if it was standard, did he mean it was standard when we had one straddle, or did, does he mean it's standard when there was two more limpers after the straddle? I, mean, I don't know what that means. If that's a standard raise when there's no limpers, then I wouldn't like it. I would want more money in the pot. I would want to make it a little bigger. But if it's standard after there's a couple over, then that's fine. Let's do it. All right, let's see what happens. Uh, I get called by four players, including the straddle. So five to the flop with position and a, quote, get in the trouble hand. Well, at least we're honest about where we are here. Right. 
Uh, he says, shut up, Chris. If we all did the sensible thing and folded these hands, you'd lose about one-third of your show, or every hand of the week would start with, so I have aces. <laughs> I like so you always get blamed for me. Yeah, for what you wanted to do. <laughs> How you liking that, Paul? <laughs> See, that's why I'm such a successful politician. I can deflect blame on everybody else. And I knew you were from South Africa. <laughs> all right, the flop comes ace, king, jack, all spades, and it checks around to us. And uh, we do have the Queen of Spades in our hand. So we have a Royal Flush Draw, the Nut Flush Draw, a Middle Pair. Yeah, I like that. Um, Changes things considerably, doesn't it? Yeah, so there's like 500 in the pot, um, give or take. So, geez, I don't know. I'll make it a – you might even make it a big bet just because they'll make you think you're afraid of the flush. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if not, I mean, I don't want to get 2600 in the middle for this, but I, I wouldn't mind betting pot here. So, I don't know, something like 450 $500. let us just, just, we'll make them think we're afraid of it and we're not. And if somebody has Jack-10 and wants to, with a, you know, with a tennis spades or something, wants to get in with us, and we're going to have to race them, I think. But Yeah, two things happen here. Either we take it down and it's a decent pot, and we take it down with middle pair, um, or... We get people to commit when we have a lot of outs to – a lot of not outs, to be honest, um, to catch up with. Um, I guess the only fear is if somebody's sitting on spades already and they raise this all in or raise big, at that point, that's a tough spot. But uh, but I'm willing to take the chance that uh, of that happening and go ahead and bet, and I kind of like your, your number. So, And I, I think that I would be willing to get it all in here because – if they have something like top two, we have outs with a regular 10. Right. We have outs with, well, not if they have top two, we don't have outs of pairs. But we could actually, you know, make a regular straight or the nut flush. Or even if they have the flush, if the 10 of spades is still out there somewhere, we still have that one minute out. So, yeah, yeah I don't mind getting it in here. All right. Let's see what happens. Here uh, says, I, uh, I think a bit. Do the chip shuffle. Uh, bet calc dance. What? I, I I don't know. I, I I'm at a loss here. It's <laughs> new term for my 45 year old existence. Uh, and bet 350. Yeah, I figure right. might be betting into an ace, but my redraw is strong. My table image puts a, a good ace in my own range. It might fold a random ace. Yeah, I mean that's fine, and I guess I guess that's fine. It's just that you got four callers with the freaking 125 bet, so yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't care. I mean, al- we- that's almost a pull bet rather than a push bet. And at this point, when I'm be when I don't have a completely made hand, and this is interesting because we do have somewhat of a hand, but I, I would rather be pushing rather than pulling. Yeah. Um, I'm not upset if I end up pulling, and then that's what I mentioned before that you know if people decide to come along and put money in, I've got we're building a bigger pot for me to catch. But I'd prefer to push a few people out here. Right. But pull. just a reminder, Scott doesn't mind to pull once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right, yeah, you know, <laughs> just just want to say that you you said that on the show. Try trying to get your guest spot on the uh, <laughs> reboot of Married with Children there. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> uh, all right, so it folds to the no, straddle. Ma'am. Oh man, that was really subtle. <laughs> it folds to the straddle, and he tanks before calling. The limping donkeys behind him fold, and we're now two in the pot. In the region of thirteen hundred in the middle, so all right, so that worked. Um, you know, I'm fine pulling one in and pushing the others out. So. <laughs> Did a hell of a job there, Scott. 
Uh, so he says the straddle is Ross. He's a young guy, mid-20s. I wonder if his last name's Geller. Uh, I have jackets older than he is. <laughs> He's a nice guy, virtual reality game developer, not overly aggressive, not a huge gambler. His fold button seems to at least work, which at this table is not always the case. I have not seen him make uh, many wild bets. My read on him is that he is relatively strong, relatively tight, not overly creative player. Turn comes a red six, so our board is ace of spades, king of spades, jack of spades, red six. Who's <laughs> your Dude, I'm going to draw an H here next to the six. <laughs> I'm just going to randomly assign it to hearts. <laughs> uh, the straddle, Ross, not on a break. Checks to me. Oh! <laughs> it is Geller. <laughs> oh, I, I hope at the end he says, you better get out of the shower because he's got a flush. But, uh, <laughs> um, well, if he checks to us, I mean, I don't know if I'm in pot control mode now or if I'm just trying to just take it away and hopefully he's got a ten of spades and he's trying to draw two but maybe we check behind and and you know make it a reasonable call on the end and if we get our flush that's the thing though is we really we feel like we really have to hit here unless he's drawing with hit, us right yeah no, so maybe we try to bet again big. yeah yeah all right so there's uh, 1200 in a pot i mean what are you gonna bet like eight about 1300 yeah so yeah i mean at that point we're almost we're getting close to committing ourselves right yeah um I mean, here's the thing. If he, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that he's on, he's on a draw here. I mean, where he would, I suppose he could be, but seems like he's got some kind of hand. It could be a really strong hand that he's just kind of walking the dog with, or he's got a hand that he likes. And he doesn't really believe us. Um, so I, I'm not too worried about giving the free card here because of that. Um, and of course, we still got a lot of stuff that could come that helps us. So. I think I'm just going to check behind, do a little pot control, and then uh, we'll reassess on the river. If we hit our hand, great. We'll get our money then. Um, and if not, then we have an option to getting out of this. But I think I'm more likely, as you said, probably going to call any reasonable bet there and find out. It seems, guess, you're right. It guess. seems I, I, it would seem odd that he would already have the flush because if he already had the flush, you think he'd want it wouldn't be high as ours, so you think he'd want to protect it against a four-card flush. So, you know, I maybe you're right. Maybe we just check behind because I don't think he has it. So maybe we are trailing a little bit. But at the same, I don't know. I don't really know. I, let's go both ways here. You're going to go one way with the check. I'm going to go the other way with the bet. And we'll see what happens. I mean, if he has the flush, the only legitimate flush he could have, I would think, would be a 10-9 of spades. Right. Because uh, if you have a lower spades here, you're always worried about that fourth spade coming, so you're going to play a little harder, I would think. Especially, as it sounds like he's a strong, relatively tight, not overly creative player. You're going to you're going to make us pay to catch ours. Now, if you have the ten, then maybe you take the chance that the queen isn't out there because now there's only one card that can actually beat you if it comes. So you could be a little more cautious. But you know, I don't. Maybe nine eight of spades maybe might still feel comfortable doing this, but and uh, calling that preflop raise too. Yeah, that, it's got to be a connector, I think, to, to call that race. So uh, those are the only two hands that I think really could do this, and that just doesn't seem likely. So, um, again, I'm not worried about him already having it. Um, so I guess if he doesn't already have it, then maybe we should put pressure on? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Scott growl there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right. Uh, my hero says I'm worried about an ace maybe even two pair I figure it can play in a flow with a hand that's beating me but 
I still have the draw and showdown value. I'm not sure if I'm beat, but I am for sure not dead. I check. I'm not giving up, but I would be not. I would not be unhappy to go to showdown with what I figure is a qualifying hand. Uh, River comes a red jack. So our final board: ace of spades, king of spades, jack of spades, six of red, and jack of red. <laughs> And he says, Ross, uh, sadly, still not on a break. Uh, thanks a bit, and bets three fifty. Yeah, I, I, I think I can comfortably let this go. I mean, we have second pair on a paired board with three spades. Broadway's there, quads are there, full house there, flush is there that we don't have. I mean, the only way like you could, at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, and you're just, I mean, it's decent money for. You know, three fifty to win thirteen, so fourteen, fifteen, so five to one, almost five to one on your money or whatever. It's decent money if you think that you got to be right one out of every whatever times. But I just, I don't know. I think I, I made it. I made a, I made a stab at it. I made a raise free flop with a trap hand, and of course, exactly what happens when you have these types of hands. A, tie, a higher pair comes, um, and now the board's paired. Uh, I just don't like it. I, I think we're beat. I don't think we're being bluffed. Even if we were being bluffed, what hand bluffs us? You know, like you said, the, the ten of spades in your hand with a nine of hearts or something. I mean, I don't know what bluffs us here that we can beat. So I think I'm letting it go. Yeah, I think it's interesting to bring up the uh, the odds here, and, and we talk about this in the limit a lot, where it's almost impossible to fold on the river for that one bet. But if you're absolutely sure or reasonably sure that you are beat, it actually makes sense. I mean, why put money in at that point when your opponent? You look at everything, and they're like, it's 98%. They've got me beat. <laughs> so the odds change now. It's not just about you know, how much the bet is relative to the pod. It's the actual odds of you winning. And at this point, it's really hard for me to see a scenario where we where we win. And I guess we could throw 350 in on the 5-1, to one and this could be that one time. But it just seems like this is a bet where guys try to get something out of us. Uh, knowing that we're, we're a lot of people would be likely to throw 350 into this because of that, and he's going to turn over a really strong hand, and we just waste 350. So yeah. I think I'm folding here. Yep. Yeah, I think I'm folding too. All right. Maria says, I asked for a count on the flop, wondering what kind of trouble I am. He has about 1,100 behind. I have him covered, but not by a whole hell of a lot. And now there are three flop spades on the board for my missed nut flush draw, an ace beating my king, a straight beating my king like a ginger-haired stepchild, and just for shits and giggles, the second jack for trips or even the two pair transformed to a full house nightmare that's beating my king so hard it should wear a white vest. <laughs> I, I missed a couple of references there. But, uh, calling the 350 would not break me, but it would kick me below the 2K mark. And I'll admit that it is in play in my head. Scared money, don't make money, etc. Uh, all this along with the assumption that I'm really all I'm reading beating is a bluff, making the 350 a curiosity slash gift call. So what would you do? Oh, we're all voting. And now for a moment of suspense. Uh, page down for the review. Keep going. Not long now. This is fun, isn't it? Yes. Yep. I tank and chip dance, and then I fold. I show nice guy Ross <laughs> my queen of spades. <laughs> Uh, Ross, why the hell did he not go on a break, damn it? Shows 9-10 with the 10 of spades for a whiff on his missed flush draw and air. 
I didn't know he had that bluff in him. I really didn't. Uh, his bet felt uh, so much like an attempt to make value, maybe assuming that I will will not bet again with exactly the kind of hand uh, I have but might not make a crying call. But I was pretty much beaten by everything, and I really figured I had to fold. The jack doesn't come on the river. I probably make the crying call, which might have been a worse choice, but I really can't put him on a naked jack in the straddle and a thin value bet on the river. When he hits his miracle to beat, what prob- he probably assumes is my ace. So apart from folding pre-flop, because you, because you guys are not nearly as degenerate as you should be, <laughs> what would you have done on that river? Uh, dig to hear what you all say. It'll probably haunt me even more than the hand itself. Well, we actually covered the nine ten with the ten of spades um, as yeah, the actually, only I'm hand that really made sense. With spades, but yeah, to, to, uh, I mean to bluff with. I mean, so that yeah. you, to put to not be able to put them on the one hand and then make the one call. You know, I think you're going to be ahead of the game folding here in this situation every time uh, in the long run than you would be to try to make that hero call and be right once or curiosity. Now, if it was, you know, and it's it's the right, like you said, it's the perfect amount to bet because it looks like, hey, you didn't bet on the next, last street, so I'm going to try to get something out of you on this street. And so I bet the same amount you bet the last street, uh, you know, the, the last time you bet, I mean. So, yeah, and it was, a, it was probably the perfect size bet. Um and it got you to fold, and and you and he knew you didn't have anything. He knew that you were doing the old C bet with a nominal hand. You checked behind because you didn't like our call. Now he's like, all right, well now I'm gonna dress it up as this is a bet where you need you need to fold because I'm just trying to extract any amount out of you with my nut hand or something. And so, you know, it was the one hand that we were trying to see that we could beat, and it was the only bluff that would make sense that he could possibly have in his hand, and. It, I think he folded right correctly. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think he should have called there at all. Yeah, what I like about this bet is interesting because we were just talking about how most players would um, go ahead and make that call because they look at ah, it's five to one, even though I had the uh, the queen or the king. Um, but if your player knows that you will probably think as we did that it doesn't matter at that point, we have to have something to beat. It's a really, really effective bet, right? Because it made us feel like we couldn't beat it, and then we were trying to get value, and it got us to fold. So I, I think the default for a lot of people is when they bluff is to bet really big and try to scare you out. But I think there's a lot of times that you can bet like a small amount and really get into somebody's head, like us, and make us fold the small bet. And gosh, think about the reversal we talked about. So if you make that call one in five times, uh, and you're right, you make money. What about if you make that bet uh, five times? It only has to work once to pay for it as well, too. So it works in reverse. Yeah. And it definitely did for um, for our opponent here. Yeah. Very interesting hand. Hey, Paul, just remember, I was on your side in this hand. <laughs> Moving forward, just remember, I played the hand Scott folded. I knew you were from South Africa. <laughs> hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And we'll see you at the tables. AntiUp is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.